Hello and welcome to the new Tech Turret podcast. This is going to be something of an ongoing experiment, so bear with us as we test it out and work out the kinks. The plan here is to hopefully somewhat mirror Tech Turret in some way, uh, kicking it off with some sort of essay at the top by me, possibly by somebody else, and then followed by a discussion with various regulars and guests and the like. This week, we're going to have a discussion about privacy and transparency in a world where it sometimes feels like both of those things have been turned upside down. So I'm just going to get going. In 1996, David Brin wrote an article for Wired, followed two years later by an entire book about the transparent society. In it, Brin challenges people to effectively rethink the most common views on privacy as sort of a single monolithic thing that needs to be protected and actually argues how we might be better protected overall in terms of our privacy by doing the very thing that most of us would quickly assume would decrease privacy, which is increasing surveillance cameras and other types of surveillance technology. His argument wasn't necessarily that we ought to do it, but rather that whether anyone likes it or not, this kind of thing was coming as the technology advanced. And his prediction from nearly two decades ago, was clearly very much on target, if you think about it. Surveillance cameras, both privately owned and by law enforcement, have become increasingly commonplace. Webcams now come standard on just about every computer. In fact, you probably have to work pretty hard to find a computer without a camera these days. And of course, in the last few years, we all have massively powerful cameras and recording devices in our pockets in the form of smartphones. And that's barely even touching on the idea of the Internet itself as a giant surveillance machine. So how could that possibly increase privacy? Bryn goes back to the idea of transparency taken to something of a radical level. If, rather than limiting access to the things that we record and what is reviewed, to just those who control the surveillance mechanisms, rather, what if we open them up to everyone? Suddenly, the ability to abuse the surveillance becomes limited. And as we recently discovered, thanks to Ed Snowden, the NSA has a term for analysts who spy on love interests called LoveInt, L-O-V-I-N-T, which is a play on the traditional role of the NSA with SIGINT, which is for signals intelligence. And of course, it's this kind of surveillance that scares people the most. When someone with power over the surveillance apparatus spies on another for their own personal gain, but that becomes significantly less possible or rather less possible to do and get away with it when anyone can check and see what is happening. So the traditional question asked on surveillance is who watches the watchers, but Bryn's suggestion is that we're all better off if Everyone watches the watchers, and just and thus, the watchers are watched themselves. So, would an NSA agent be as quick to snoop on a love interest's phone records if he knew that she would be alerted to the search, designating him as somewhat creepy? While some have reflexively pushed back on this idea, in some areas we're already seeing it happen in limited practice with impressive results, and that's with something like police cameras. In this era of militarized police and increasing stories of police brutality and arbitrariness, many police forces have started outfitting all officers with cameras, and the early results are really impressive. In Rialto, California, by merely outfitting half of the 54 uniform patrol officers with body cameras, the police department saw an astounding 88% decline in complaints filed against officers over a one-year period, going from 24 complaints the previous year to just three when the force wore cameras. 
Furthermore, the cameras appeared to act as real deterrents to police abuse. For the officers wearing the camera, every single case of physical contact was started by the public and not by the officer. While in the control group, who weren't wearing cameras, 24% of the cases were initiated by the police. Other studies have seen similar results. This is why there's an increasing push for police body cameras to be used everywhere. Notably, in Ferguson, Missouri, it was reported that the police did have dash cams for police cars, but they were not installed at the time of the Mike Brown shooting. Since the events and the protests from the summer, however, police in Ferguson received a donation for body cameras and have been wearing them for the past couple months. There are interesting results to studies in other areas as well. A study from Washington University put body cameras on restaurant employees, showing that the cameras reduced theft by 22%, with the rate of theft decreasing even more over time. Perhaps much more interestingly, with body cams, the restaurant, the restaurant employees increased total check revenue by 7%, drink revenue by 10.5%, and tip revenue by a marginal amount. But, of course, there are also reasons to be concerned about all of that. Feeling watched all the time can be a very negative feeling and can negatively impact productivity. It makes people feel less trusted, less able to make judgment calls in certain situations for fear of constant second-guessing. It goes back to an era of tailorism in the workplace where certain employers thought that they could get more productivity out of workers by monitoring every move. That was discredited, but with the rise of computers and the Internet, some of those concepts returned, with employers monitoring employee Internet usage, blocking access to websites, punishing or firing workers who did too much personal surfing at work. But again, this is a situation where you have asymmetric information. It's a case where the surveillance is done by the powerful and no one is watching the watchers. But what if it were more open and such information were shared more widely? Would bosses be a lot less likely to accuse you of spending too much time on Facebook if their own time on Instagram was available for everybody else to see. Similarly, as more and more companies are going down the road of collecting more and more data, something that isn't going to stop no matter how many times people complain about it, wouldn't it be better off if they did so much more transparently, making it clear to everyone what data they were collecting and how it was used? Wouldn't it both ease the concerns of those users who do wonder about potential privacy violations while also helping to create incentives for those companies to act within social norms? This isn't an easy question, and I doubt that there's a perfect solution, but the fact is that Bryn's predictions from years ago seem to be pretty dead on, and perhaps it's time we take more seriously his recognition that greater transparency can lead to greater privacy even when there's greater surveillance. Here to discuss this with me are two friends of TechDirt. We have Hirsch Reddy, who's a programmer and a tech startup lawyer, and Dennis Yang, who's a product guy and a programmer as well. So let's have at it. Is this a crazy idea that you can actually use to increase privacy by having more surveillance combined with greater transparency, or is it just something that's crazy all around? Sure. I guess I'll get started here. This is Hirsch. Um, <clears throat> when you say there's you know greater transparency to with regards to the surveillance, I wonder what Bryn means there. Does he mean uh, there's perfect transparency to the captured footage and the captured surveillance, or just transparency to the uh, records, if you will, of who is accessing what? Um, th th those two examples, th those are distinct scenarios, right? If, if everyone has access to all the footage all the time, I think that's the sort of thing where people might be a little a little uncomfortable. Uh, on the other hand, if it's merely transparency to the access records, 
Um, so they, then it's, it, you get into a case where you're talking about the, uh, as the NSA likes to call it, data versus metadata. Uh, well, data versus metadata there is, 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 you're right, it is metadata, although we're asking a different question there, right? We're asking, which has the police department accessed and used the footage that was captured outside my home? And which was the officer who looked it up? Right. That would be one kind of information. The other information would be, is it possible for someone, uh, a neighbor, to just go online and get the footage, the actual footage, as opposed to just the records of who has accessed the footage. Right. And I think for sure, it's very, I think it's very easy and it's, it's, it's pretty much just manifest to me that the, the former thing, meaning the access to just the records of who has accessed the footage that's been captured, that makes us, I, I think that's, that's a, that would be a great outcome, right? That, I think that would enhance privacy for everyone, would bring us a lot of different benefits, you know, monitoring the police, making it easier to solve crimes, et cetera. Uh, and, and possibly, you know, uh, that would be enough of sort of a safeguard that, that people wouldn't feel like we were living in too much of a big brother state. If, if, if the safeguards which tell you exactly when the state accesses the footage, if those safeguards are airtight, you know, that but, not- but is it, is it only the state accessing the footage or, or, could it be anyone accessing the footage? Well, see, that's the second scenario then. If anyone can access the, the footage, I think, um, you know, there's two questions here. There's, there's how do we currently feel about privacy? How, how do we currently feel about the fact that someone might be able to look at, at, at uh, footage of what I'm doing in my backyard versus what will my great-grandchildren think about that, right? <laughs> there's two different things. Like, is there, is there really something that invasive uh, about let's say, aerial photography of every single person in this city being captured 24 hours a day. I, I think all, every single one of us uh, here on this podcast and probably in San Francisco right now would, would, would feel kind of disturbed about that. If, if I could just call up on my smartphone, hey, let me see aerial footage of Mike Masnick 12 at noon yesterday. Right, but it's, but it, but it's yeah. not necessarily of Mike Masnick at 12 noon. It's above you know, the corners of the street and that street in the public view at a certain time, right? And I think that that's interesting, which is, for example, in London, the entire city is blanketed by video surveillance. And the only people that have access to it are the government. Right. And I think it's really interesting to say and to think about, well, what if that surveillance and that surveillance footage and view that as a public good and it can be shared and used by anybody, right? So, and I think, is that what, what Ben's kind of talking about? I, I think so. But I, I mean, I think, I mean, even just getting beyond the specifics of Bryn's proposal, I mean, let's just talk about it right. from, from, you know, the way we think about it. Right. And so, I, and I think that that's, that's what, you know, basically it's saying, you know, by having this resource, which is a, a, a constant stream of video surveillance mm-hmm. and have it only have that access only limited to certain portions of our society seems less transparent and and more actually like more likely that someone would abuse such power because if, if everyone has access to it, then it's not. Yeah. Like so I'm actually you know this, power, despite right? what I've said, I'm actually very sympathetic to that view that the that we should be capturing you know almost ubiquitous surveillance and that everyone should have access to it. I think that is the right solution. However, politically, I don't think that's a sellable concept in a modern American city just because of the sort of privacy values that we have. It, I mean, think about. Um, 
you know, just how people feel about being publicly photographed by another individual uh, in a circumstance that they don't feel comfortable about. Like, so right. for example, in, in, you know, being, if you were just photographed by a stranger in your front yard, a lot of people would feel pretty uh, uncomfortable with that. Not everyone. I, I seem to think there, there might actually be a generational gap there. I think my parents' generation might feel very uncomfortable about it. Uh, perhaps our generation is a little less uncomfortable about it. And perhaps our children just won't care about it at all. They'll just assume they're constantly being photographed. But I think with the current privacy standards, what's currently prevailing, I don't think at least the American public, at least the left coast, at least the California public is willing to say that, hey, we're going to blanket our city with cameras. And it's not just the police, but anyone can have access to those cameras. But, but I think that, I mean, part of the point is that it's already happening, right? And I, and I agree. I with, agree with you. I mean, I agree with you. There's a generational thing. I mean, if you look back to like the late 1800s when, when regular cameras were first becoming a thing, people freaked out. And there were all these things about there were laws passed on certain beaches that you couldn't bring a camera to the beach because they thought it was a violation of privacy just to take a photograph on the beach. Because, you know, people were there and, Mm -hmm. you know, in in bathing suits from, you know, 120 years ago, which were not as revealing as they are today. You mean overalls? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, um, and and obviously today, you you know, people are, are, you know, they don't freak out so much about cameras. But you still do have situations like that where, you know, I mean, uh, Google Street View is like a a perfect example of this. Where there are all these, you know, fights over that. And and there have been all these privacy suits. and, And like in Germany, if you want, you can force Google to blur out your house. Um, which just seems strange. And, and somebody, I forget where this was. I had just seen an article recently that somebody had sued, I think it was in Europe, uh, had sued and successfully won a case against Google um, because it caught a picture of her on her front step. Right, with her, the cleavage. With, with, with cleavage showing. And she, was, she felt that that was a privacy violation, even though she was right. on her front step. And anyone who was standing on that street could have seen that. So you know what the lesson is from this? The lesson from this is... That courts are not going to demand a coherent view of sort of privacy, right? They're going to make a case-by-case sort of a decision, and individuals are going to be the same way. So while we may uh, you know, very well argue and, and be correct in arguing that everybody has these cameras and the footage is already out there, it's just not being synthesized into, a, into, a, in, into one network, while that might be true – just the fact of proposing it as a single network, just maybe just the vocabulary of saying, hey, there's going to be this network that you can access footage from anywhere. Just, just, just talking about it in that way probably will seem abhorrent to a lot of people. So there, there was a, wasn't there a book recently written by um, an author in San Francisco, the guy, I think, who wrote uh, Staggering Work or Heartbreaking Genius? Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he, didn't he write a book about – I'm not – Eggers? Yeah, yeah, Dave Eggers. Eggers. He, he wrote a book about surveillance and sort of like a Google-like entity having surveillance everywhere. Uh, a Facebook-like entity oh, called sorry. The Circle. Oh, yes. Okay, there you yeah. go. And for a while, my Facebook feed – you know, the irony there – but my Facebook feed had a, a lot of people commenting about the story. And uh, I haven't read the story, so I can't really talk about the plot, but it seems to me like there's a fair amount of paranoia in that book. Maybe, I won't label it paranoia. That's a very strong word. But there's a fair amount of fear in that book about – uh, about ubiquitous surveillance and how it can be used and how it might be but, abused, right? You know, I, what, there's one thing that's missing from all of these kind of privacy discussions, which is what what do we achieve and what do we have to gain by 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 basically you know giving up our privacy, right? For, so, for example, um, the, the the London surveillance cameras people give up their privacy being on the London streets, but supposedly they you gain safety, right? In theory. In theory. Um, I mean, imagine if we had ubiquitous 
cameras and microphones out in the streets of San Francisco. And in order to hail an Uber, all you have to say, you don't even have to use your phone anymore. You could just stand on a street corner and say, I would love an Uber. And an Uber would show up. Right? That's possible once you have the, that infrastructure. I, I don't know how compelling that is just because we already have a phone which acts as But we don't need right, – yeah, but, but, I, I can walk out of my house without a phone, without anything. Yeah, and, and what, if it's, what if it's not Uber, right? What if it is, you know, I need a hammer, right? Yeah, <laughs> and a hammer up here. <laughs> right. That's, I mean, a, that's amazing. Like, sure. I mean, that's – Someone could build a service on that. On a phone, but but okay, I do get your point. There's there's definitely a give and take there, and I, I actually happen to cleave more on the side of the citizens of London. I think San Francisco could benefit from a public surveillance system uh, that's you know publicly accessible. Uh, for example, my car was broken into four times this year. I think you know that, and uh, you know. It, Two times the, the glass was actually shattered, and, and I wasn't very happy about that. But, you know, I just took it as being sort of a, a, a cost of living in San Francisco and, you know, no big deal that way. Uh, I think a lot of people would say, hey, we're comfortable being mugged once in 10 years and maybe the glass, our glass being broken a couple times a year uh, to, fall, to not feel creeped out. But you're right. There probably would also be a fair amount of citizens that are going to say, hey. But it's not just safety. Like what other applications can be? Right. So, I mean, part of this part of this goes back to there's a point that I've tried to make a few times, which is, you know, I I think there people have this sense that like privacy is this thing, right, that you can protect privacy. And and to some extent, I think that's ridiculous. right? I mean, no matter what you're doing, privacy is is always there's a spectrum and there's always a trade off and you have different trade offs. Right. If you want absolute privacy, you would never leave your home. The second you leave your home, you've given up some level of privacy because somebody could see you on the street and that is less right. privacy. And that's an exchange for going to the store. To e- pick up exactly. So that's the trade-off. The trade-off is it's worth it giving up that little bit of privacy to go to the store to get something. Where it becomes trickier is that, you know, when you do that, you're, you're generally taking into account that you have enough information to make the decision that the amount of privacy that you're giving up is so little and the risk of bad things happening because of that is so little that it's worth it to get, you know, the food from the store that you want, right? Where it becomes trickier is when there is this information asymmetry where you don't have that information and you don't, you can't make the right calculation and you can't really tell whether or not you're, you know, it's a, it's a fair trade-off. And right. so that's so where you don't, it comes you don't know if there's a conspiracy theory be, being built up against you. Right. Or whatever, or whatever. it might, whatever it might be, yeah. you know, the more information that you have, the better able you are to make that calculation and make a decision and say, this trade-off is worth it. And that's where you get back to the transparency where there is greater transparency and everyone knows what the you know what the risks are then they can start to make that decision for themselves and they can say you know what it's worth it for me now where it gets tricky then is that when you're doing something like blanketing a city in cameras then suddenly i can't make that decision so much for myself unless then you know then you have this war where somebody builds a special hat that you know shines a light and blocks out cameras right. or something right but you know there are still trade-offs involved in all of this well, he, he, you know, one of the things I think is, is, you know, as with any sort of political choice, one of the problems is the scaremongering can get way ahead of, of, of sort of the benefits messaging, right? Well, that always and, does. Yeah, yeah, right, obviously. And in this case specifically, um, I think uh, there's a huge amount of sort of public outcry about surveillance specifically. And I think we, you know, we can blame, uh, you know, uh, Aldous Huxley and, and George Orwell and some of these guys for that kind of stuff. Uh, 
in our, in our DNA. And, and part of that, some of their fears are actually well-placed, right? Like, I think we can all, even at this table, agree that a, a state-monopolized ubiquitous surveillance system would be bad. Right, I think is bad. Is bad. Okay, <laughs> uh, exactly. Is bad because we, to some extent, we have that already. You're right. Um, nobody's arguing for that now. A citizen-operated one, and I don't mean citizen-operated in the sense that there's like some citizen entity oper- that operates it, but rather that these devices are all just shared on a network and anyone can get on and look at the footage. Now that is that scary. I still think I know there's all these benefits, and I think for myself, I, I'm willing to live in that world. I still think I still think when the minute you just mentioned the fact that you're going to have cameras everywhere looking, sure, it's going to scare let's, people. So let's let's get let's get beyond the political aspect of it, right? Which is I agree, like this this would definitely scare people and would freak people out. Well, there's another threat. There's the very real threat that you can start off with just these dumb sensors, and people might be able to build software on top of it. That gives private entities mm-hmm. a monopolistic sort of in, uh, uh, ability to extract information about individuals that everyone's going to feel very uncomfortable about. Let me just be very specific. So, sure. for example, when I was talking about uh, asking the question, where was Mike Masnick yesterday at noon? Right. Well, Dennis replied, well, you don't know that. You only can only ask for the footage around his house or a particular location. So you need to know where Mike Masnick was. Well, No. If there is a, a, a level of sort of big data processing going on right. on all these cameras, I might be able to do image matches sure. with Mike Manzik and detect and actually extrapolate even where there is no cameras to figure out where Mike Manzik sure. is and then sell but, that to the highest bidder. Right. But what if, what if I'm aware of you doing that, right? So then suddenly I know that you've looked at, at my information and, mm-hmm. and even who you've sold it to or whatever, and then suddenly I have the ability to make that value, that, that information less valuable because I can make it clear that I'll never, I mean, I'll never hang out with you again or I'll never do business well, with anyone that well, you sell it to. Or, yeah, but look, how powerful are users on the Internet when it comes to their uh, bargaining power against these people that are tracking them for online advertising, right? To some extent, we, we but, hate that, but, right? But we, we do, but again, there's, that's because there's, there's asymmetric information now, whereas if you expand that information out and you allow people to group together and say, we will not, you know, we, we will, as a group, agree not to support any company, you know, so if Walmart is selling our data in this way or buying our data in this way, then we as a, a block, a voting block of citizens will no longer shop at Walmart. We'll call it the spending block. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. You know, suddenly because you have that information, it's no longer happening in the background because right now all that information is really, a lot of that is happening already. A lot of that information is being sold. You have all these data brokers so that are going out and, and selling. And all of that is in the dark, and we don't know about any of that. And, you know, whenever that stuff comes out, people freak out about it. Whereas now, if you can actually check and see what's happening and you can keep tabs on who's doing it and, and who's doing it in a way well, that you're not comfortable with, you well, can push back on it. Well, you might not know what kind of processing. The raw data you'll know about. You'll know that there's this footage, image data going on, but you being captured by different people. It'll just be publicly available. You won't know what kind of AI smarts, machine learning smarts are being deployed on it. So I think it will be very analogous to how people are, what they're doing with their financial data. I think, I think you might not know what's going on. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is, even if you knew about it, since this isn't a financial transaction that you can, tra- that you can basically opt out of, the cameras are everywhere. You can't just choose to go invisible, or maybe you can break the cameras, but you won't be able to sort of opt out of it. We can opt out of your right the, the Walmart thing by not shopping at Walmart, by not going to the walmart.com, but 
Is there a way to opt out of this world where there's ubiquitous surveillance? I don't know. You can stay inside. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that's kind of the thing. Like, basically, like in the same way that consumers have somewhat of a familiarity with what credit score means, right? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe there needs to be some sort of an easier way to understand what this other data that is being tracked about us and, and how to use it. I have no idea how to quantify it or explain it to yeah, like so can, can you have a private privacy score or right. or something like that or a trust well, score, or right? Creepiness, creepiness well, re- score. Creepiness right. score. No, but regardless of the of the score that you give to something, right? right. Or, or to to the data produced by a particular entity. In fact, you could have legislation at that level that says that you can't figure out where Mike Maznick is and then sell that information. You know, they, they, we could certainly have a framework around that. But besides that, if you think about it, if the data is publicly available, Mm-hmm. Pe- it's not just people in the United States, un- in the United States jurisdiction that will be processing it. That raw image data will go across borders. It will be processed somewhere outside our jurisdiction. Um, it, it, I think once the information is free, it's just free. So right. you, you basically have to live with all the consequences of that. I, I think to some extent this question of surveillance really boils down to how much systematic data about all of us do we really want to capture and make available? There's so many benefits from capturing health data. There's so many benefits from capturing movement data, image data. But are, is there, is there, are there downsides to that it, once we let that data out of the bag? I mean, I, I happen to think that no. And it's weird that I'm sitting on this side of the table sort of kind of arguing with the two of you because in, in some ways I'm probably you know, more uh, libertarian about these things than even you guys. But you know, just to play the devil's advocate, I, I think when it comes to especially medical data, Right, mm-hmm. and once you once you can even just from the image data that's captured from cameras, once you can deduce people's lifestyle choices and things like that, and factor that into actuarial things. Whew. But but again, I mean, I think a lot of that is happening already, right? I mean, more and more insurance companies are requesting more and more information, right? And they're looking at things like you know being able to track track information, you know, like now lots of people are using like food trackers, right? That track what they eat or exercise trackers and track what they eat. You think your health insurance company wants that information? Hell yes, they want that information, and they're trying to get it and they're going to be offering you plans where they'll say yeah give up this information and we'll give you a discount on your plan right i I have a tracker on my car so that i can pay less in auto insurance like i'm willing to give up certain privacies right and so you'd be amazed at what what people say they they care about privacy wise and what they do when actually offered you know Mm -hmm. you know a penny right i mean well did wasn't there that famous quote uh from the social network from the book about what mark zuckerberg said when he found out what people were posting on the first version of his facebook he said something along the line of i can't believe these bleeps they're giving me everything yeah like people will they have this desire to share everything uh I, I mean, I was just thinking about this while we were having this conversation. You and I, we basically share our whereabouts via Fitbit, don't we? Like, we know, I know exactly how far you've walked, you know, yes. to some extent. If you, t- if you were to tell me, hey, Hirsch, I can't meet today because I'm sick, I, w- I would probably know if you were lying. I would look at your I your can Fitbit. walk around my house. Yeah, you can't, but you can't walk your typical fifteen or 20,000 steps that you do. By the way, this guy's a champ, this walking. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, but he's got some 80,000 steps or something. Anyway, uh, but... 
you know, I would know. I would know if you're lying. And, and, and if you were Fitbit pals with your boss, well, you, you are your own boss. But, you know, if I, if I have a boss and he looks at my Fitbit, he's going to know. So to some extent, I'm, I'm guilty of that, too. Like, yeah, I'm, but, I'm just but, but then, stuff. Yeah, and you're just sharing it. But then, like, again, if it was a situation where you would know that your boss was looking at it, you know, so if, if I knew that, that I'm going to lie to you and say that I'm sick when I'm really not sick, then, you know, maybe I cut off your, you know, your access to the Fitbit or I'm checking to see if, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't how Fitbit it works today but i could check and see if you're checking on me and i'm like what kind of friend are you that you don't trust me to- <laughs> oh, you know it just it just uh, someone's probably already thought about this i was just thinking a great safeguard for this information for example even the camera information would be to attach a price to accessing that information yeah. like and, and that way let's say a, a police I, mean, are- I, I want a piece of it if someone wants to look at my information and i get a cut then yeah and i mean there have been attempts to do that and, and the problem is that what you're doing there is when you add a price you're adding a ton of friction right the reason this data yeah. is so valuable is because there's so little friction right the second you do that you say why, like, why is it friction because of the current a, current yeah. transaction models maybe well, that it's hard maybe that gets better right it's hard to establish a price it, right? it's it's difficult to establish a price and then you know right. you know any kind of negotiation is going to involve anything any kind of transaction cost right now are going to involve stuff you could get that you know less and less and yeah. if you're you know using bitcoin or something you can i mean i, I tried to start costs, a data marketplace and to basically the people that hold the raw data place much more value on the data itself than the people using it um because a lot of times the value and the actionable information that comes out of the data comes after you have the data and you process it not in the raw form so, right and so, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that sounds nice. I just don't, I don't think it really works in practice. Um, and again, I mean, we're willing to give up information for almost anything, you know, and I think, you know, as soon as you put like dollar terms on it, right. I mean, there are all these experiments where people give up, you know, all like their social security number, if you give them a piece of chocolate or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's Have different. People actually, people actually do that. Uh, yeah. Tons yeah. of people they yeah. look up the studies, you know, a pencil and they'll, they'll give you their, their social security. If number. you have any chocolate, I'll give you my social security <laughs> number right now. Actually, I could we'll, use some chocolate. We'll go o- o- open <laughs> the cabinet and see what we find. Um, but you know, so I, I, and I think that there's a little bit different than that compared to like when you start putting a dollar amount on, then suddenly you start thinking like how much, how much is it worth? Whereas a piece of chocolate, you're like, yeah, it's a piece of chocolate. So suddenly, even though that, that piece of chocolate may be worth 50 cents, you don't, you don't necessarily but, make that connection. I seem to think I, I, I would love citizens to have that sort of transformation of perspective to start thinking about it as being something more valuable. Yeah, right? but I do mean, you that, think that transformation of perspective is going to happen faster than the transformation of perspective to something like this, where you're saying giving up privacy is okay if there's transparency? I, I don't know. I would bet on the the transparency before the the price model. Hmm. But um, so one 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 more point, and then we'll, we'll do final thoughts, and we'll we'll get out of this. So let's take it back just a step to if we were just looking at like government surveillance today, would government surveillance work on this kind of model? Right. So if the NSA could continue to spy on, you know, our phone records and email records or whatever, but people could check and see what they're actually looking at, does that work? So. The NSA is immediately going to say no because then we're tipping off people. But what if there were ways to to deal with that? And we don't have to get into the specifics of how we yeah, deal with that. But I'm sympathetic to the NSA view there of, of like let's say they get the warrant. I want mm-hmm. them to get a warrant. But let's say they get the warrant. I don't think they should have to tell the guy 
the you know the Al Qaeda operative or something. Hey, man, we uh, we're not going to so, tell you okay. why, but we're so, going to look so at your phone records. So let's let's give let's give I'm, so let's give a situation where if you get the warrant, you can keep that information private for some some amount of time, which is effectively what what well, happens with the warrant. Well, I mean, what, right. it's, it's actually rather extraordinary that we think that the NSA sh- should be able to listen to people's stuff today without a warrant. So so if we're talking about a world where they just sort of have the blanket ability to look up everybody's but, stuff, but uh, they then, do. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, if I were the NSA and I were required to disclose who I was surveilling, then I would basically surveil everyone so you couldn't tell when I was looking at Oh, that's a good point. So, so your argument is if you were to do that, then, then, then you, I'm just going to look at I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. They're always gonna look at everyone. So you look just at everybody. Like, so everyone's gonna. So you're basically hiding who I was looked at. Uh, wait, everyone was looked at. So yeah, you just don't care. It's like a background noise. Oh, every day month you were gonna get your NSA surveillance <laughs> notice, guys. We were looking at you, and you just finally forget about it. Right. That's a great tactic, Dennis. You're <laughs> evil, dude. <laughs> All right. So let's let's go to to final thoughts. Uh, who wants to start? Dennis, you take it. Yeah, I mean, my my basic thing on this whole privacy thing is, is like, privacy to me is not in this, it doesn't feel like an inherent thing that needs to be preserved, or it's something to be considered. But what's most important to me is that, like, what do we gain by giving up certain things, right? And that's what I really want to make sure we don't forget is that, you know, by fear the fear mongering and by fearing new developments, like we're we don't want to be throwing away developments that could improve society for everybody. And, you know, that's, that's kind of, I mean, yeah, I'm living in a skewed world here a little bit being in San Francisco, but I'm really excited about, you know, what new things are coming always. All right. Um, well, since the two of you, I know, I know what direction you're going to go in terms of being liberal about the surveillance. I, I feel like I have to be the one guy that's uh, that's going to be a little bit conservative here, even though maybe you know on a, on a, around a different table I might I, you know be a little liberal myself. But you know I I actually seem to think that like we have a certain tradition about privacy in this country, right? I'm not just talking about sort of legal uh, you know legal traditions. I'm talking about just sort of as a democratic country with a certain amount of um, vigilance when it comes to totalitarianism and dictatorships, etc., we have this inherent um, aversion to surveillance. And people, it's not just state surveillance. If you say it's going to be corporate surveillance or anything, any kind of surveillance, even just neighbors' surveillance, people just don't like it. And I don't think that's, my view is I don't think that's going to go away. I think it's going to be a really uphill battle. And I think if the kinds of benefits you're trying to sell are the kinds of things like, hey, get me a hammer, get me a taxi, I think people are going to say, hey, we could do that with our smartphones, and that's not much of a benefit. And I think it's, if we're going to change, it's going to change very gradually as sort of generational tastes towards privacy kind of shift, as you were saying, you know, people don't really think twice about a picture on the beach today. They did it one time. Maybe things will change that way. And I think if, if we, if we pursue things gradually in that way, things are going to change, but I don't think we should expect, um, the American public to just suddenly change in the next decade and say, Hey, we're going to be okay with cameras everywhere. I, I, I find that hard to believe. I mean, it could happen. It could happen, but yeah. Well, the only thing I'll say in, in concluding is, is that, you know, I, I, you know, my thoughts on this aren't so much about what, what the American public would necessarily accept, but whether or not it's an interesting idea and whether or not that's where we're moving anyways. And so, I mean, I think you're right that everyone, 
says that they're really worried about surveillance and privacy and things like that. But when you look at what their actual actions are, it doesn't always live up to that. You know, if you offer them enough pieces of chocolate, they seem to be willing to give up things. That's not necessarily a good thing. You know, I would love it if people were more aware of the privacy trade-offs that they're making, but I'm saying that, that they do that. And so as we continue to go forward and as there are more and more tools available, I mean, there was just a, some service that, that I was reading about last week that was offering people money to hook up old cell phones with cameras, suction them to the, oh, to right. the windows, and you could video, you know, so they were getting a, a, vi- a constant video. Place.com yeah, I, or I have thing.com? You have it? Yeah. Oh, okay. What's it called? <laughs> well, there's, they're called Kuzu. And okay. I, oh, that's a different company. I, yeah. I, there's I was, a, a, different there's a few different ones, yeah. I think. Yeah. But so I think that, you know, more and more of these things are happening. And so I think, you know, whether or not, you know, people are comfortable with it, I think it's a discussion that should be out there, that people should be having, and it shouldn't just be this, you know, broad, like, we must protect privacy or, you know, we must not, we must, we have to recognize that these things are happening and are there ways to better deal with it? And that's where I think this discussion gets really interesting. And that's, you know, what we were talking about. And I think we're, we're basically out of time though. And so we'll, we'll be back hopefully soon with uh, another discussion. And yeah, fun, guys. yeah thanks. Thanks for, for joining us for the first Tech Dirt podcast. And I'm inclined to agree. Listen, we live in an age of instant information. So isn't it strange? Things have been hidden away from us. Governments think we...